This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Regardless whoever wins the White House, we are facing serious geopolitical and economic challenges that could lead to the next great financial crisis. You need a recognized safe haven asset for your portfolio and IRA, and that asset is gold. Call Goldline and add physical gold to your portfolio or IRA at 800-913-GOLD. Goldline, been helping people diversify their portfolio with gold for over 55 years. Rated A-plus by the BDP. Read Goldline's important risk information, but do it now, because crazy times are coming. 800-913-GOLD. 800-913-GOLD. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America, and welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. It's uh, Thursday, so we have people that are coming in, some of you from out of town, North Carolina, South Carolina? Yes, sir, North Carolina. North Carolina. Florida. Illinois. Where else? Illinois, Nebraska. Rest from Texas? Texas. Rest from Texas, good. Um, uh, glad to have you guys here. Uh, I want to start with something that um, we just purchased at auction a couple of weeks ago. And uh, then we started doing some research on it. And we thought, oh, well, that's not exactly what this was advertised as. And we're going to send it back. And then we really started reading it and rereading it. And we thought, actually, it might be better than advertised. It's this over here. This is a letter from a pilot on the last B-29 of World War II to drop the last ordinance of bombs on Japan. And it was advertised as the guy who was on boxcar uh, dropping the last atomic bomb. But that's not what it is. The last atomic bomb was dropped, and then the Japanese... We didn't know if they were going to surrender or not. They didn't surrender immediately after the second bomb. First bomb, we drop, they're still going. Second bomb, they're still going. And the government starts to say, okay, 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 wait, wait, wait. But even in the government, they were telling us, we're not sure we can control the people because we've said, fight until the end. Every man, woman, and child fight until the end. And they had convinced the, Amer- they had convinced the Japanese people that the Americans were worse than they were. Okay? And that's why when we took over some of the islands, a lot of the soldiers just killed themselves. They didn't want to be around us because they were so brutal and ugly. Quite honestly, in a lot of the things that um, the Japanese did, in some ways, they were more brutal than the Germans. Uh, they had experiment, experimental camps where they were cutting people open uh, and you know, doing uh, live experiments on people, just like the Germans. We didn't learn any of this. But they knew about it, and they were actually okay with it, and they had killed 20 million Chinese. 20 million Chinese. So... The government didn't know, the Japanese government didn't know if they were going to be able to control the people because they didn't want to be conquered by the evil Americans because, good heavens, what are they like? So in the negotiations, they were saying, okay, we think we're going to surrender. We think we're going to just keep moving towards peace treaty, but we're not sure. So the day the peace treaty was signed, this is the last B-29 And it's 
it's got a full ordinance, and it's flying over um, uh, Japan. And as they take off, they say, boys, we don't know. By the time you hit Japan, you may, uh, the war may be over. Um, but keep the radio on. And if you hear us say, what was the code word, Apple or something like that? Apple. If you hear us say Apple, turn around, drop the bombs in the ocean, the war is over. If you don't hear anything from us, that means the war is not over, and drop them. So on the way, they start talking. And this is the co-pilot who wrote this letter. And they start talking, and the guys start disagreeing. And some of them are saying, you know, look, we're going to drop this over an industrial area, but we know we're going to hit women and children. And the war, they might think that the war is over. I mean, we're all going towards peace. They might think it's over. They may not really be bad guys. And it might be over 10 minutes later. How many people are we going to kill? And the pilot, the co-pilot says, no, are you kidding me? We were told, listen to the radio. If we hear that word, then we, we turn around. If not, we drop them where we're supposed to drop them. How many people at this point in the story think it's morally clear what you should do? Anybody? What would you do if you were in that situation? Anybody? Yes, Sheila, let's get a mic here to Sheila and then to Sarah and then to Bert here. I think that they're trained to follow orders. So they would be, have been trained to listen for the code word, and if they hear it, then to drop the bombs where it would not hurt anybody. But since they had the time to talk, it, I think it probably led them both to uh, reexamine that uh, we're just following orders. So you are on the, you're on the ship with them. You're on the plane. And it says in the letter, we took a vote. How do you vote? Drop it in the rice paddy or drop it on the city? Is that if the order... You don't hear hear anything from the radio. The war, as you were told before you got on the plane, if you hear nothing on the radio, you drop them. I would probably be one of those people that would be, this is what I was trained to do. I would follow the order. Okay. Bert. Well, I'd like to disagree with Sheila, but I, I personally couldn't disagree, even though I, I, if we're examining it after the fact. No, we're examining it on the plane. You're right. And if we were examining it after the fact and we had the hindsight to look. look Can't. Even, but they we, didn't but have that. But in real time, in real time, there's, there were soldiers, and I would, I would think they'd have to do what they're trained to do in the code word. Had the, if they didn't hear it, then they were to follow through, and they weren't to play out in their mind the repercussions because somebody else has, has already decided that to drop that is going to say actually even though it's going to destroy lives, mm-hmm. it's going to save, Might save lives. lives. And right. so that would be the that would be the dilemma. I know it's a it's a moral issue to think about it 
But in, when you're talking about real time, I would have to agree with Sheila that, she, that you have to follow orders. Sarah? I guess the three of us are totally in agreement. We okay. must be alike, like-minded. I could, I'm the type of person that has always been by the book anyway, and I'm, I'm not military, but I would say we do as we're told. Okay. So this is what the co-pilot that wrote this, this is what he, he was in favor. He's like, we are soldiers. He said, um, Jesus, um, did they give the boys at Pearl Harbor uh, a break? For Christ's sake, wisen up. Another bunch of growls was heard through the plane. I told them I can't go home and face all the mothers and the wives that have lost their loved ones in this war. And if they would have insisted, uh, I would have uh, gotten off with the damn crew. Shrek chirped in and finally sang when I saw how he, when he saw how I was standing. I didn't come up here all this way to drop bombs and rice patties. At first, the bomb doors wouldn't open. Then we finally opened them. Uh, an emergency way, and Shrek knocked the hell out of the factory just northeast of town. The target was northwest of Tark- uh, was Tokyo. We turned south and flew over the mountain and came back. The whole empire was covered in fires. So they decided to do it. And, and I read that part of it, and I knew the story, but I hadn't read the whole letter. And so I thought it was an interesting puzzle on should you do it? Because by the time they landed, the war was over. So now they didn't know that, but in retrospect, it's all over. He wrote this letter after they landed and they found out. He said, now that we're back and uh, they have decided that our crew has ended the war. Okay. So, how many people think he's a good guy? Based on what you know, he's a good guy. Right? Yeah, he's a good guy. May I read the whole letter? Sure, please do. It's to his, uh, to his wife. My darling baby, I guess I'm in the doghouse for sure, but I'll try to, my best to squirm out of it some way. If I told you I loved you, would you consider it? Baby, it's finally over several days ago, wasn't it? I just couldn't get on the ball and write. I hope you haven't worried. You know how it goes once I, uh, you know how it goes when I uh, once stopped writing. Darling, do you know that your baby is famous? You didn't? We dropped the last bombs of World War II. It's been declared official, so you can stick that on your chest. We were the last crew over the Japanese Empire. Uh, they, the bomber command, checked all bombing times and ours was the last, so they sent a correspondent up to see us. He took our statements and a brief history. I told him I was married and where my baby lived. The only address I gave was the one at Bristow. I also gave your maiden name. There is a chance that life may take up the article, in which case we will all really be famous. Okay. It's starting at this point. I'm reading this, and it's starting to slip away from me a bit. Um, the cor- correspondent took pictures of the crew and the ship, and say, said that we may be called on to appear for a radio broadcast, and we might be in a newsreel. So and so claims that he was the last one over the target since he was in the tail. I guess he's right. I was so darn mad. 
Shrek and I were the only ones that wanted to drop the bombs on the target. The rest of them wanted to drop the bombs in rice paddies. The big shots warned us before takeoff that the war might be over while we were on our way to stand by the radio to be called back and dump the bombs in the ocean. I told the squadron CO they would just have to turn off the darn radio and we'd go on. He said, I better not. So I prayed all the way up the target that the war wouldn't end until I killed some more of those blank. My prayers were answered because we were halfway home when President Truman made the announcement. How many people are starting to have his good stuff slip away from him? The whole crew thinks I'm bloodthirsty and they keep throwing it at me. I, I would have gotten a crew, baby. I would have gotten promoted if this war would have just lasted a little longer. But as soon as they started peace, as soon as they started talking peace, all the promotions and the changes were out. If we are held here for ferry to ferry troops, I'll have my own ship. I've been promised that. I've washed my hands of this whole crew. As we came on the bombing run, Fry calls each member, that's the pilot, each member up and suggested we throw the bombs in the rice paddy. I saw red and screamed my head off when he asked me. All the enlisted men were in favor. Brandt wasn't decided, so he stayed on the fence and said no comment. Robbie turned yellow. Fry suggested it. Andrew, me, just raised hell, and the rest of the crew growled over the interphone that I was a radical and a murderer. They said, why not give them a break? Maybe they think the war is over, and here we would, here we would be killing them. I said, J.C., why, did they give the boys at Pearl Harbor a break? For Christ's sake, wisen up. Another bunch of growls. I told him I couldn't go home and face all the mothers and wives that had lost their loved ones in this war. And if they insisted, I would get off the damn crew. Shrek chirped in, finally saying, I didn't come all this way to drop bombs in rice paddies. Now that we're back, they've decided our crew ended the war. The boys are now just eating it up. It makes me want to expose all of them, but I won't. Now, Evelyn again can say, that's my husband. Jim just stands by, by sheepishly and backward. If it was my crew, I would have had them give us a special B-29 all dolled up and put it on tour in the States, maybe the world. If we got a good press agent, baby, there's no limits to the possibilities in store. But Fry would say, twerent nothing, and he'd let it go at that. Baby, there isn't one man on the crew who has ever grown up and who will ever raise hell but me. Hero or villain? I, I, I read that, and uh, the reason why I wanted to share it with you today was um, I don't think there's any straight answers right now. I mean, everybody's looking for black and white, and everybody's looking for good or evil. And I can't tell you if he's good or evil. I don't know. I don't like the way he's talking. But after the war and after everything that they had gone through, I don't know that I wouldn't feel that way. I hope I wouldn't. And as a soldier at the beginning, 
that's, I would hope that every soldier would do that until you have your commander tell you don't, you don't. But does anybody else feel like we're kind of in this situation now where you just, it's hard to find? There's no clarity. There's no clarity. There's no hard clarity to find. Yeah, here, Michael. One thing I I notice about this is that when you have people, wherever they are, making decisions, everybody has a bias. You know, if you say you're unbiased, you're lying because everyone has a bias. Whatever you've grown up with becomes your point of view, and everyone has a bias point. This guy that did the bombing, he was biased. He was biased by his hatred of what the Japanese had done to his brothers and sisters and his countrymen. And in that point of view, he was indoctrinated by the military, and I'm a military son myself. And I was actually born in Japan, which makes it more interesting, too. Hmm. But the thing about it is that in our nation, the people that are that are making all the decisions and the people that are rioting and the people that are doing all these things, they have a bias, but so many of us, depending on our age, grew up with with things that taught us different things like, you know, Christian principles, if they've taken, you know, prayer out of school and so many things that kept us, in my opinion, as a straight nation and as a moral nation. And so many of those things have been removed from our country and because of technology and iPhones and everything else, we see all these other influences are influencing our nation, and and so many sound bites are there without knowing the whole theory, the whole story behind what's going on. That people are making false decisions, and somebody over here that has no, that's not researched anything, has the same weight in what they say as somebody that's researched it and that's trying to make a, a wise decision. So. That's one of the reasons why I think that we have so much turmoil in our nation is because of those kind of you know, issues. Um, you guys heard of, and I can't remember his last name, it's like Milo Yapanopoulos or whatever his name is. Okay. Um, Bloomberg did an article on him recently. They brought it up today on the radio show. And he said, we are living in a post-fact world, and I love it. And, and he was saying he likes it because you can, you know, basically, you know, sway anyone, anywhere. Um, I think that's our problem, where we have so much at our fingertips, and, and, um, and I think we don't trust anyone anymore, and because we don't trust anyone, it's almost as if that Trust doesn't matter, and so facts don't matter. Nothing matters to us. And how do we find our way back to caring about facts as a group? It's going to be tough. We'll go to you here in a second, Bert, when we come back. Bert. Yes, Glenn, we, we were commenting about the, the morality of the decisions that these people uh, made on the plane and uh, and then you read the the, the full story uh, and 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 asked the, the audience, do we still feel the the same way? And of course, the 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 issue that Sheila was bringing up was was that we're we're going to continue to to support uh, uh, 
uh, our training, what our training is. But I think when we think about worldwide life, you know, uh, we, 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 I can see the patriotis- patriotism and I can see the, uh, the desire to protect our country, protect where we belong. And because and, uh, right now we've got uh, still, even with the, with the trying times that's going on in the world, we still got people coming in. We don't have a, a, a mandatory draft. We still have mm-hmm. people uh, signing up and, and going into the military and uh, to, to try to fight on, on all different fronts. But I, I still think that we, we've got to think about life, not just our life, but we've got to think about everybody's life, you know. I'd like to, I'd like to ask you this. Because um, uh, you mentioned, you know, patriotism. Up until recently, I mean, geez, fireworks, 4th of July, I cry every time. I'm almost dead inside now on 4th of July, which I hate. And um, uh, it's because I don't feel like, A, the crowd is even there to celebrate the idea of America. You know what I mean? Um, we're, we're listening to songs or whatever, but it's the, the tradition is holding up what? And I've been, you know, we've been talking for so long about saving the Constitution and everything else, and the Constitution is a, is a, is a fence. All that, that's all it is, is a really good fence, the best one ever devised by man to have uh, uh, all kinds of alarms and to stop people from getting to the treasure, which is freedom. Um, and the idea that all men are created equal, that you can pursue your own happiness, that, that all, of these, all of these things that say, I am unique and, and I have a right to be able to be me and pursue. I also have a responsibility to play nicely with others and care for others, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which is giving me a deeper understanding of why this fence is not good for a, an amoral people. It won't work. John Adams said it won't work. Because if you're not moral, you're destroying it from the inside. You're, you're corrupting this. Um, and the fence isn't strong enough. It wasn't built for that. Okay? I'm not sure patriotism is a good idea. And, you know, we didn't even have a national anthem until, I think, FDR. Um, we would play, I think it was called Hail Columbia, um, and it would go back and forth, and it could, you could choose. We didn't even have a national anthem um, because the, the, we were more humble than that. We, we were a collection of people doing our best. We were not, the French don't give you a gift like the Statue of Liberty, um, A, unless they have an ulterior motive, which they did, but also... If you're, if you're not a humble nation, you know what I mean? They were trying to teach their own people, we should be more like these guys. It was before we reached out to the rest of the world and said, you know, you guys should be more like us. And um, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just wondering if it's a very good thing that's coming our way to humble us because I might be alone. I'm not worried about losing this land. I'm not worried about losing the capital. 
I'm not worried about losing my job or my money. I don't think that my kids are going to have a better life. I mean, it's pretty hard to beat my, I have a sweet life. I don't think my kids are going to be able to even come close to this. They're going to have the life that I had for 35 years of my life. Um, and, And if that, if that, I'm not concerned if we all live like people lived in the 1930s. I don't want that necessarily for my kids. It would be nice. I want them to be free. Right. And that, that is the idea. And it seems to me that we are struggling and fighting so hard on who is going to get us more stuff or protect our stuff or that's not the idea. Are we so far past the idea of the American experiment that do enough people even know what it is in the back? Did you want to say something? No? No? You in the back here, Brent. To kind of go along with uh, kind of losing sight of what is actually the quote-unquote American dream, we've become so polarized just in general with how, you know, you're either one or you're the other, and that kind of is tearing people apart. And, you know, I've seen it in my family and with my friends. You know, you just kind of you lose sight, and you had said earlier how we're just not, being as, you know, you know, with the patriotism thing. It's like you have to be able to have the American dream but not make it divide yourself, I guess. Kind of rambling on. Does anybody else feel like we're, we're all becoming members of PETA? Where if you wear the fur coat, if somebody's wearing a fur coat you have to go put a bucket of blood on them. It's become so horrible where we are, we're all turning into rabid extremists that want to shame, embarrass, shun, or shut up anybody with, with a differing opinion than ours. And I've, I've always despised that. And I hope I haven't played into that. Um, but we all, but we're, our friends and our families and even some of us are starting, because that's all of society, we've lost what we could have all the money and the banking in the world and we could have all of our stuff in our houses, but if that's who we are, I don't want to be that. That's not America. Shara, oh, sure. I get a mic here oh, for you, Shara. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think about the scripture. I'm terrible about remembering exactly what it is, but the brother against brother, father will be pitted against son. And basically, I kind of see Facebook is doing that. I mean, it's supposed to bring us together, but it's... Facebook is uh, doing anything. Well, it's, you know what I'm saying. It's making We're this, doing it I all. know, <laughs> I know. But I, I look at, you know, someone's page and I'm like, oh my gosh, they're for them. And, you know then I don't want to talk to him because I don't want politics to come up because, you know, but I, I want to love him 
as Jesus loves us, you know. So. And I, I, I want to be friends, and I want to be friends with people who disagree with me, but I don't. Mm-hmm. Facebook's, Facebook, uh, the system of Facebook doesn't encourage you mm-hmm. to be, uh, I, I hate to blame it on Facebook, but it's not, it, nothing is encouraging. I had a conversation last night with Lawrence O'Donnell from MSNBC. I haven't talked to him ever. Penn Jillette has been asking me, he's friends with him. And he's like, Glenn, you two would actually like each other. And I'm like, he's a communist. <laughs> and he's like, he should, you should hear what he says about you. But you guys would like each other. I talked to him last night. It was really fascinating. I haven't even watched it. So I don't know if they left it in. Um, I hope they did. But we were talking and he said, um, so I, I don't remember what came up and how this came up. But he, we started talking about how television does not encourage you to have a real conversation that he said, Glenn, um, I don't have, I I've never yelled at anybody ever about politics ever, except on TV. And I said, me too. I've never ever done that. I wouldn't do that, but it's, and, and it, television and, and radio and all of this, I wouldn't wish fame on my worst enemy. I really wouldn't. It's awful. And, um, and the, the, the way this all works, it encourages that. And now we all can be famous on Facebook and YouTube and we can be famous and what makes us famous is feed bloody meat to the machine and i don't i i don't know how to reverse that trend but we need to wake up from it soon back in a minute jonathan you're from north carolina your dad's a pastor yes sir and uh, right now we're in the process of changing our church's bylaws, which is essentially our constitution. And we have had the conversation about if we're willing to lose, you know, all the tax benefits and if we are willing to stand for the truth. And actually my dad is in a series right now about how we are going to trust God because man will always fail you, but God will never fail you. And we know that no matter who becomes president, no matter what course our country takes, even if our country's gone, God will always be there for us. And that gives us hope. Yeah, it's really amazing how much of the... I was reading a story today, I don't remember where, on um, the... It must have been BuzzFeed because it was like the 13 shocking misconceptions about theology or something. Uh, and it was um, how, how, how off kilter... Americans are on some basic principles of Bible theology. And, um, and the one thing that is really killing me right now is how little faith we have in God. I keep hearing everybody depending on, no, you don't understand. It's all over if we don't X, Y, or Z. Really? Really? 
And God is going to save us. Really? Like God needs America? Like that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty remarkable thing. Out of the entire universe, he needs America. And um and our arrogance to say that. And I was talking to a friend this morning about the difference between divine providence and manifest destiny and how you have to have faith that, yeah, you might lose everything. You might lose everything, including your life, your freedom. You might. But Nelson Mandela has been going through my head so much this week. Nelson Mandela, pretty bad dude. The beginning, pretty bad dude. I mean, you know, we can get into the reasons, um, but pretty bad guy when he goes in. Completely changes. Completely changes. Doesn't change his political philosophy. Changes his outlook and his, I don't even know if you could say it, call it a religious, spiritual philosophy. And he becomes a good man. And here's a guy who hasn't been seen or even heard his voice in a decade. And he comes out, and I don't know if anybody knows how he saved South Africa. And I barely, it was a whirlwind. I was on the ground in South Africa for, I think, like 13 hours. And and I was all screwed up in the time zone. And somebody was telling me, and I so I hear about every fifth word. So let me give it to you in with that understanding. But um, Nelson Mandela went to one of the big white leaders who could have just destroyed, just bloody war, bloody war. And Nelson Mandela went to meet him. And now here's Nelson Mandela, who also could have said to, the, to, to every black in the nation, rise up and kill them, mm-hmm. okay? And had pretty good reason to say, rise up and kill them. Does anybody know what Nelson Mandela did? Nelson Mandela walked in to the man standing right in front of him and said, please, I beg you, let's find a way towards peace. He got on his knees and humbled himself. I just think divine providence would not put a man on his knees. Manifest destiny keeps a man standing up and saying, my way, my way or the highway. And, oh, you're going to do that? Well, here's what I'm going to do. Only divine providence, only the humility. And I think we're all looking at divine providence. We want somebody to say, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Back in a minute. What do I know? Okay, Robert. Well, I'm, st- I'm still going back to a dilemma from your opening question. Okay? Yes. You gave us a presentation. You made us vote on it twice. <laughs> and the, fir- the first one was, was this a moral act? And people responded in a particular way. And then you gave us the background of the individual. And I think the mistake is you haven't separated the person from the act. Was the act moral? Oh, Hang on, I didn't think we needed to vote on that, but that's really good. Even if you know the background of the guy, how many people 
first, before you knew the background of the guy, um, did um, how many people would have dropped the bombs because it was your duty? Right. Right? Okay, good. Now, you know the background of the guy. Does that change anyone yeah. not, knowing, not knowing the outcome still, not knowing it's the last bomb, but you know who this guy is? Does that change your vote? Would you still drop the bomb? And yeah. I think the problem today is a lot of people base the morality of the acts and tie it to the individual. Can, a, can an individual that you don't respect make decisions that are appropriate and moral? And would you be against those decisions because you don't like the individual? And can you, are you willing to go out on a limb and tie that to a, <laughs> a, a current because that's a great question, and if you have something in mind, I would love to well, pursue that. Obviously, I'm, I'm pointing to that politically, and I'm, I'm looking at the decisions being made. If the decisions are being made properly, and if, and if you even want to go back to, to your prior discussions of Israel, some of the... No, king- let's stay in current day. Okay. I'd, I'd rather stay in current day. In, in, in current day, because you don't like the individual... But if he will make the acts that are moral and appropriate for the country, are you going to be against those acts because you're against the nature of the individual, okay. even though he's acting morally from the act point? Okay. So, good, good question. First question back to you just to clarify. I'm assuming we're just talking about Donald Trump. Let's just be, let's drop the pretense. Because okay. <laughs> maybe I get spun around and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I wasn't meaning that at all. I just want to make sure. Okay. Um, I do not think that Donald Trump is a moral man in any way, shape, or form. Preacher, can I get an amen? Yes. Um, okay, so I don't think he's a moral man. Um, and, and I think, if you go against certain things and allow other factions to come about, the acts themselves being performed by that form of government will be immoral. Okay, hang on just a second. So I don't think he's a moral man. Do you think that I, I am basing my, my uh, stance against him based only on my dislike for him? That was my original tendency weeks ago. Do you still think that? Not as much, no. Why? Not, what has changed? Well, from what I've listened in the last three to, f- three to four days, that I, I think you're rethinking some things. Because can, 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 a person, can a person who is, in your opinion, not of the same moral character, and you've got many people here that are church-bound and the like, can you have a non-religious leader making moral decisions? Oh, my decisions? gosh, yes. I would of vote course. for... I would vote for Penn Jillette, who is an atheist. If they make the appropriate decisions that are moral for the country. Absolutely. But there's a difference between, um, between being religious and moral. Right. Oh, my gosh, I know a lot of immoral religious people. Okay? They're some of the worst. And However, hang on. However, it's not your religiosity. It is the, the view that you have that um, of your of of your your compass your compass has to be on some polar star i don't know what his polar star is i think it's greed and fame well if that's your polar star when we should be over here he'll be taking us this way 
Because the president, this room, has anybody been in the Oval Office before? Okay. This room in real life is wild. It is so um, no, the hallways are a little like that. This is so um, uh, intoxicating or intimidating. When you walk into the Oval Office, you are like, whoa, this is, and you don't know what to do with your hands. You know what I mean? Um, it is the ultimate power room. You put a man in the ultimate power position with the ultimate weapons, with the ultimate power over people, the ultimate power with the press, with the thinnest rice paper skin, oh my gosh, that could go horribly awry. So my feeling is he is, he's, he's a dangerous man because he... It's not his morality. It is his thin skin, seeking vengeance, cruelty. I mean, I haven't seen... Is anybody, can anybody tell me a moment of real, honest, true humanity that you have seen? I, I, like I, I can't say I've seen that really in Hillary because she's so plastic and robotic and she's just like, she's not real. You know what I mean? So, but I don't, I don't see an anti-humanity in her where, where Trump seems there's a lot of really spooky traits that he has of being anti-humane. Um, and it's scary that I, I, somebody asked me yesterday or the day before, I, I, I couldn't come up with one, one moment of him being, wow, wow, was that kind and gracious and magnanimous and human. Ooh, I don't want that guy standing on this seal because the decisions he'll make will be not good, not good. Uh, how much? Go ahead. Let me go to uh, Michael. How much time? One minute. Go ahead. Or who has? Do you, do you have Lynn? Did you have something? Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to expand on how he started the conversation with the military. I'm military daughter. My dad was in the Air Force, and um, I think of this in the future. Everything you've said is exactly what I've been thinking. The moral choices are from the kids we're raising now and our future. Yes. And I'm trying to raise my kids with the morality that they're not being given, but. Only half the country is doing that. My concern is that the power uh, can tell the military, and only half of them will know what morality is, to say, do I do this or not? Do I drop the bomb or do I drop it in the sea? How do you... And are they going to say Fort Worth is the next city? Yeah. Uh, The military, we're ready. And who's going to say yes and who's going to have to make that difficult decision. Thank you. Back in a minute.
Thank you, Heavenly Father, for bringing us here this evening, Lord. And I thank you for every person represented here, Lord, and for Glenn Beck for bringing us here, Lord. And I just thank you for what you're doing in our hearts as well as our country, Lord, that we know that you are in charge of everything and that your hand is is on our country, Lord, that it was ordained by you and that this country was started by you, Lord, and that you're not going to let it fall, Lord. And we just thank you for everyone here and for bringing us here safely and getting us back home safely. We thank you for Mercury Studios and their families also, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 From Dallas, good night. Regardless whoever wins the White House, we are facing serious geopolitical and economic challenges that could lead to the next great financial crisis. You need a recognized safe haven asset for your portfolio and IRA, and that asset is gold. Call Goldline and add physical gold to your portfolio or IRA at 800-913-GOLD. Goldline, been helping people diversify their portfolio with gold for over 55 years. Rated A-plus by the BDB. Read Goldline's important risk information, but do it now, because crazy times are coming. 800-913-GOLD. 800-913-GOLD.